Hey everybody, welcome to uh, an episode of Voxology Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Depending on how you're counting, this is episode number 303 or number 3. And uh, we're going to just dance in that tension for a little bit. But hello, welcome, thank you for tuning in. It is always an honor uh, to be a small part of your day and your life. And um, and Tim and I, I mean, we got loads to cover today. Loads. It's not shocking. Tim, just give us a quick update on life, marriage, and um, and fatherhood. Oh my gosh, life is confusing. Marriage is wonderful. Um, fatherhood is an adventure. Nice. <laughs> All right, I would say. Life is an adventure. Marriage is confusing. And no, I don't know. Um, so so we want to start today by thanking some folks, Gail and John and Robin and uh, Jennifer, um, for either coming on the team, the Patreon team, or increasing support, which is amazing. And again, these are all sponsored by you, and we're so grateful uh, for the many supporters that we have. It is such an encouragement and blessing. And um, so just want to say thanks. If you want to go to um, uh, patreon.com, do, do they type in Voxology now, Timothy yeah, John? I think it's just, it's just Voxology. Voxology. Patreon.com backslash Voxology. If you want to go yes. straight to it. Yes, it'll be glorious. So thank you for that. Um so that's the first thing. The second thing, well, you know what, Tim? Before we dive into the second thing, let's hit the music. Perfect. The second thing, Timothy John Stafford is uh, happy for the July weekend. And this is just your annual reminder that you can love being an American and be thankful for your American citizenship and really want to tell the truth about our country so that we might repent and lament appropriately and not confuse America with any version of the kingdom of God. <laughs> so so let's just let's just be clear. <laughs> <laughs> that though it's a great day, um, uh, far too often we confuse uh, the country with some sort of Christian version of manifest destiny. And uh, and if you're in a in a church that sings patriotic songs or has patriotic icons as part of a Fourth of July celebration, may I gently um, uh, ask if you'd be open to the idea that that is really bad and that you should find another place to worship. So happy Fourth of July. That is our public service announcement right there. Uh, I think that we should make some Fourth of July t-shirts with all of those addendums. Yes, perfect. <laughs> yes, it, it, and it's so silly, right? I mean, we, yeah, it, it's, it's like we love the church so we could critique it, right? It's our tribe. I love yes, being I don't a understand part of the why American we tribe. Yeah, why can't we hold the church and our country to like accountable and to a higher standard and yeah. say these things don't work and this is wrong and these people have been oppressed for a while? Let's let's re let's rectify that. Let's repent of Especially, that. Especially, I don't know. 
as people who believe in generational institutional sin. Right. 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 We're the people that supposedly have the most realistic version or vision, not version, vision of the human capacity for evil. It'd be nice if we had the right version, too. And the version. Absolutely. <laughs> and the virgin, um, yeah. if you're in a purity culture. So um, anyway, Ooh. I wanted to throw that out there. And then, Timothy, the third thing is um, we, we did a pretty heavy episode last episode on um, LGBTQ plus and the new creation. It was prompted by um, the, the questions and struggles and thoughts of somebody named Jeremy. Um, and uh, we just thought they were so profound and they provoked lots of conversation on our end. And we have, not surprisingly, it's provoked lots of conversation from you. And as we were fielding emails, Tim just texted me and said, man, our, conversa- our, our community is just so rad, which is a, a 90s way of saying it's cool. Um, <laughs> you know, that he's stoked to be a part of it. Um, when was the last time rad was used in conversation, do you think? Prior I mean, to for that? me, it was this morning, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, prior to your usage of it, do you think maybe like 2008... I don't Perhaps. know because you said rad was a, a way of saying something's cool, but I think cool predated rad. Oh yeah, but I don't cool know what still, the, I don't know what the normal version is now. But cool is still cool. Like cool hasn't left rad. No one uses rad. My wife will come home since she teaches high school, and she'll have like the thing right now that all, everybody says is like "let's go," but it's yeah. like that's their way of affirming a situation. It's not like actually like let's all get together and. Vacate no. the current no. premises. Yeah, I heard something I like. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm tracking. That's yeah. yeah, all right. Oh, wait. Have you watched Loki yet? Yes. Just last night. Holy moly. Holy moly. There's a great conversation. Spoilers. On in there. Oh, yes. Yeah. Isn't there? As like Loki. The best. Oh, the best. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, yeah, we can't talk about it anymore. So if you haven't it's watched insane, Loki though. episode four, we won't spoil it. But it is it is so appropriate to his character. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, uh, anyway, okay, yes, yeah, I'm so tempted to go there. Um, so well, we I was had thinking about your series on narcissism, and I was like, holy crap, is this not like a oh my goodness, oh my goodness, like, mainstream illustration? Oh, it absolutely. It's retelling the tale of narcissists, which is yeah, it's this so. We should, yeah. So we're announcing right now that we're launching a new podcast that's just Marvel talk that you guys are all welcome to be a part of. <laughs> well, and recorded you and Gombus recorded the first U two episode. We did. Finally, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, I can live with or without you. So, um, or is it I can't live with or without? Yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, or both. I don't. We started it, but I, I still think we haven't found what we're looking for. Oh snap! <laughs> I love that. That's because Some just God turned this episode off. That's right, because because <laughs> um, you know the spirit she moves in mysterious ways. Zing. Uh, um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the third thing we want to talk about before we dive into uh, to an email we got. So we got tons of tons of response, um, obviously, and I, I think the most heartbreaking of the responses, of course, is. The number of people who are just saying they have a story that's very similar. Yeah. And that their community is not a place where um, 
they are able to begin to process these sorts of thoughts and questions. And we just, we lament and we grieve that. And of course, our community is so rad that uh, they're offering to help Jeremy and to give a friend, you know, said, listen, I'll give him a dad hug uh, if I'm anywhere close to him. And, you know, all sorts of just great uh, prayers and well wishes and so on. But, but, you know, we we just lament this and and then i think it was yesterday or the day before the pca so presbyterian church of america general assembly and i don't know anything about this all i know is what's like all of a sudden all um the the uh either side a or side b gay people that i follow on twitter are all talking about this and it was some um it was overture 23 so it's an overture which is hilarious it just reads like a rule and uh, it said this and it it is so it is so relevant to the conversation we we're having last week officers in the presbyterian church in america must be above reproach in their walk and christ-like in their character those who profess an identity such as, but not limited to, gay Christian, same-sex attracted Christian, homosexual Christian, or like terms. Those who profess that, that kind of identity that undermines or contradicts their identity as new creation in Christ, either by denying the sinfulness of fallen desires, such as, but not limited to, same-sex attraction, or by denying the reality and hope of progressive sanctification, or by failing to pursue spirit-empowered victory over their sinful temptations, inclinations, and actions, are not qualified for ordained office. So, um, so f- from what I understand, and again, this is, I, I didn't follow this, this is coming to me filtered, but the language there is the language there. So if you identify as same-sex attracted, uh, gay, homosexual, whatever, and attach the Christian to it, you're not allowed to hold office um, because it undermines or contradicts your identity as a new creation in Christ. Um, and it does that by denying that your same-sex attraction is sinful um, or it denies that you could not be that or uh, it, it admits that you're not pursuing change beyond that. They call that spirit-empowered victory over sinful temptation. And um, one of the things that we've done on um, our podcast is we've heard from Bridget and Tyler and Nate and, um, uh, oh, what's her name? Joanna. Um, People who are same-sex attracted, who are Jesus followers, and who follow the traditional Christian teaching um, and, and say, in the name of Jesus and with joy, I will choose to be celibate. Now, granted, we haven't, you know, we haven't talked at length about whether that, you know, about the, the nature of their choice. Um, but I've, I've always been a great admirer of um, brothers and sisters who are choosing the much harder road um, whether they're single and heterosexual, single or same-sex attracted, I just think uh, anybody who holds a sexual ethic beyond consent and indulge um, is to be applauded. And um, and so uh, 
I'm hearing from all of, of these people and then many others about how absolutely insane <laughs> this overture turns out to be. And Bridget, who we had on, man, I don't know, several several episodes ago, she's PhDing, um, uh, and she is she is an amazing follow on Twitter. She's at Traveling Nun, mm-hmm. which is interesting. N U N. Um, you know, responded to this in in some really fantastic ways, pointing out the double standards inherent within the statement. So, I mean, I'm just going to read a couple of her tweets and then just comment on them. If attraction outside the bounds of marriage is enough to disqualify gay men, why is it enough to disqualify straight men? Uh, Because my desire for, my sexual desire for people other than my wife under the, under this, you know, uh, overture would be considered sin too, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I love this one. If women are responsible for causing straight men to stumble, why aren't straight men responsible for causing gay men to stumble? <laughs> Zing, as we say. Um, if victory over sin means that gay people must not even name their sexual attraction, why can straight men admit to having porn addictions? Right? Straight people would never dream of placing the same expectations upon themselves that they place upon gay people because they know they are ridiculous. Mm. If you applied this standard evenly, no one would be qualified to leave the church. Um, And then someone else chimed in and said, hey, well, what if you call yourself a recovering alcoholic? Is that, does that undermine your new identity in Christ? Um, uh, So... If I'm in recovery, does that undermine my new identity in, in Jesus? I mean, so, so especially after last week's episode and the response that we got, to read this and to say, okay, so what you're saying to people who um, are following the traditional Christian ethic and committed to celibacy, who are and experience same-sex attractions, um, that 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 disqualifies you for holding an office in the presbyterian church and bridget is is damn right um if you applied to those sorts of issues to straight people about yeah i'm a porn addict or i'm a sex addict or i'm in uh, ssa or whatever right you should automatically apply the same sets of principles and that those people would be ruled out because they're not naming their new identity in jesus Right. Um, if, if I am somebody who struggles with lust and, and by struggles, I mean like regularly commits and repents that sin, um, how in the world does that make me any different from, from somebody who, um, who is attracted to the same sex, right? If the desires itself are sinful and that's what the overture seems to say, which is fascinating because I don't know that I see in the Bible the desire um, condemned, right? The places that do seem to talk about some sort of same-sex genital activity have the activity in view when it's condemned. Um, and uh, and so so what a burden that you cannot, if you want to stay, you know, as a, a minister in the Presbyterian Church, you can't. Uh, you can't admit that it's a struggle or you lose your office. You can't admit that it's true of you. You lose your office. 
Um, and you can watch straight people, you know, struggle with all of their sexual temptations and sins um, and still be fine. And it just seems, it just seems really um, uh, just another, wh why would you add uh, burdens here and not lift a finger to help? You know, and the fact that yeah. this is, yeah, yeah. So, so I just, I, I, especially after the conversation we had last week, I was just like, are you freaking kidding? You know, it's so dumb. Yeah. I mean, these are the people who, according to the conservative view, are living costly discipleship way more than the vast majority of heterosexual people out there. Yeah, I'm just so over it. I don't understand why our, this tribe works so hard to exclude. It's like d doing research or trying to justify or trying to do so much to just exclude people. And then we have a history of it. It's not just sexually. It's no, but sexually is our race and specialty. Like, yeah, I just like why? Why do we work so hard to push people out? Yeah, I'm over it. I'm so done with it. Done. Ladies and gentlemen, Timothy John Stafford is done. I have tendered my resignation. Put a fork in him. I'm sure I'll get some comments and emails just like after the uh, should I stay or should I go? And people are just like, why is this such a big deal? And it's like, well, this is why it's a big deal. <laughs> this is why I am troubled. This is why I'm pissed off. I'm sick of it. <laughs> yes, and we're not church haters. <laughs> no, I, yeah, so I was going to bring this up in our last section of this, but, you know, yesterday we were at a memorial service and a funeral for a friend who passed from a terrible disease, watched her father eulogize her, which is just the worst. Oh you know, watching goodness. a parent bury their child is, everything feels upside down and inside out. And so you watch it. And so I'm, I'm at the church that I grew up in and I haven't seen these people in forever. And they're still the same folks, just, you know, grayer and whiter than they were 20 years ago. But it brought back a bunch of people. So the, the young lady that died, when I was a youth pastor, she was one of my, like, quote-unquote leaders. Like the people that did min youth ministry with me. Right. And all the other people came into town. So it's all these people that I actually grew up with in the church, and they've been gone for a while. And a lot of them have walked away from the church. And... Uh, after the memorial service, we ended up at a bar, just the just that generation of people. And we were just talking through. And the amount of pain that was in that group of people for feeling uh, pushed out by the church for various reasons or feeling misunderstood or feeling just hurt. And I was like, man, like it was just a big pile of pain. Right. At the, and stuff they hadn't talked about or visited in 20 years because they hadn't been back here to do it. Wow. So we're all just sitting there and having these like, and it's just like so much of the conversation, some of a lot of it was about purity culture and the, the wounds and the burdens they've carried. And we've talked about that a bunch on here, but just the wounds and shame that they carried into their marriages that they're still carrying into their marriages. And it's like this, this was the, in just this one precise little setting, the legacy that the church was carrying with those people was one of pain and shame. Right. And I just was like walking home after that. I was like, God, I can't. Why is everything so exclusive? Like it just hurts people and it's driving me nuts. That's it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah, it's, 
you you wonder um, how how often people who are writing overtures like this sit with overtures. people like you sat with, right? An overture. Oh, uh, you know what I mean? Yes, I don't I think mean, they do. Well, I don't know how you could. Um, it's like the Nashville statement way back in the day. It was just this cold, heartless, idiotic. Just entitled, tone deaf. The I, you know, we talked a little bit about last week, and even through the new creation stuff, and even Sermon on the Mount stuff. The the messiness of the human, you know, like the human stain, is yeah fascinating, and I love it. And there's so <laughs> much to sort through and to reconcile, but. In this idea of trying, I actually like had a long conversation with the, with one of the people at that thing last night about new creation stuff. She's been so far away from the church and, and feels so shut out by it. Yeah. And I was like, well, what if it's like this? And what if this is the way? And this is what, what if this is what God's trying to do? And what if this is what sin actually is? And, what, and she was just like bawling as we're trying to sort through yeah. all this messiness. And a lot of the messiness is stuff that the church has thrown on you yeah. or thrown at you. And it's like, that's a lot for people to carry and they shouldn't have to carry that and they shouldn't have to carry it alone, but they shouldn't be carrying it in the first place. I don't think. Come on, man. Know. Come on, man. Very frustrated. I'm tired of seeing people so hurt and wounded and by, um, the people representing God and Jesus's love. So we'll call that section Tim's memorial musings. <laughs> yeah, <I won. laughs> aye, aye, aye. oh it's so good dude it's so good because there because i there is there is a hole that authentic jesus loving communities can fill and not yes. fill perfectly good lord no i think that's um, the premise like that's the starting point right yes that understanding a lack of full understanding and lack of actual perfection and trans yeah. like when you think about the actual ideas of living above reproach and being transparent to me, that's becoming the more vivid image of that is like, not just living a life that's sin sinless, that you can be in leadership and be beyond reproach, you know, which is kind of how it was always sold. Yeah. But like, just as in general, as a, a community of people being like our, our cycles of sin being a, 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 like open and aware so that we can walk with each other through that stuff. That's I, right. For me, that's almost a better transparency and a better like above reproach thing is that I, I need you to. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Above reproach isn't lying and pretending being to be perfect. righteous. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's so much of what Jesus condemns. Yeah is in the Sermon on the Mount is what we embrace. You know, public yep. righteousness for the sake of the ministry. And it's just like, well, and I agree. I mean, I'm not denying that in Christ is a real identity. And I'm not denying that like, that, that Jesus does transform us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I've seen it, experienced it. Um, but at the same time, Paul uh, and Jesus are really clear. They're not into pretending. Yeah. And so if, so if I have a, a desire that is, uh, ruled out of bounds, then what this is telling me is this, I, I either have to deny I have the desire yeah. or I just have to hide. Yep. Ne both of those are old creation dynamics that lead to wrath. 
Neither of those is the hospitality and the welcome to the table that the early church would have embodied. You know what yeah. I mean? And that so, wrath and judgment of that cycle has just been made more abundantly apparent to me in conversations with people about everything. I just, it's like that, that cycle feeding itself. I mean, how many times have we, I mean, how, I'll speak for myself. I don't know how many times I was in like an accountability group with people where it's like, Hey, I want you to make sure that I don't lust anymore or whatever. And it's like, but that was the end of it. Yes. Like I'm, yes. I'm not doing this anymore. And then, you know, yep. and my, my actual self inside was just like, that's cute. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's what Dallas Willard calls sin, sin management. Right? right, the gospel of sin management. I get a ticket to heaven, and then I just try to manage my sin. Yeah, and that's not new creation. Those are not but new walking creation together dynamics. in a community of people that are helping each other and and really yes. investing in your lives over a long period of time. That is where I've seen Jesus yes. change. Like we have a role to play in that. It's not just a prayer into my yes. heart, and then suddenly I'm right burdenless and walking the red carpet to heaven. No way, man. No way. And, and all of the stuff of, that Paul teaches about how the church should relate to each other assumes continued human sinfulness. Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> I mean, all of it, right? Forgive one another, bear with one another, be patient with one another, be kind to one another, be compassionate to one another, show hospitality to one another. All of that assumes that it's still going to be a mess. And my Lord, you look at the, the absolute crap show and I want to use the real word, that the church in Corinth was, right? right? right. And he never, and he, you know, he never, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm not aware that he ever says to them, okay, guys, um, here's the list of things. Right. Um, obviously, he is, he is um, he's teaching them, he's provoking them. Um, obviously he does give moral directives. Absolutely. He does, totally. but it's in the, it's, it's in such an entirely different context than just, Hey church, you should be perfect. He never yeah, says to that. a community of people that were walking together and living life together. And totally, I don't know. So if anybody wants to become a part of the first church of Golgotha, we are going to just walk openly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so yes. So, so anyway, it was just it was it was it was tough. David Bennett is another guy we we've had on the um, the show talking about his book War of Loves, um, and these are these are people who are carrying the cross and and in this very real and profound way. And I just don't understand why they why the church turns away. I just don't understand. Now that doesn't even speak to the church turning away of people who aren't. Uh, gay and celibate, but who are gay and doing whatever, um, that turning away is is damaging in other respects. Yeah. But you know, if you're a conservative church, and and these are the people who are holding the conservative view, and this is what you're doing to them, it just blows my mind. So God bless, God bless us all, <laughs> uh, or in the south. They say, uh, bless your heart, and that, that's a bad thing. So bless your heart, PCA, bless your heart. <laughs> we got a question that we want to read today um, that fits exactly into the same vein. Um, and uh, we'll call this guy Jeremy. Lots of Jeremy's <laughs> out there. Yeah. 
And uh, not to be I confused f- with last week's Jeremy. This is yeah. This is a new. This is uh, this is J- Jeremy Junior. And um, and uh, so Tim, why don't you um, why don't you read the? It's it's a couple of big paragraphs, but it really I think uh, yeah. gets at some good questions. Yeah. All right. So I've recently picked up the Bible Projects podcast. And first of all, series. first of all, we don't ever want to recommend other podcasts officially yeah, on the don't show. Don't lead with someone yeah. else. But unofficially, Jeremy. that's that's such a good one. I did not recommend that podcast to two different people yesterday. Yes, I did. Uh, so I've recently picked up the Bible Projects podcast, and they did a series several years ago on the theme of exile in the Bible. Ooh. As I was listening, Voxology's anthem of discontent with the oh! Western Church jumped to mind, as well as Gombus's uh, visits and Faith Improvised podcast. That is Gombus's podcast, if you haven't listened, Faith Improvised. That's two uh, podcasts that we've mentioned. Yeah, I know. We're, 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 we're a community, Mike. Okay. All right, that's fair. Uh, Gomez's podcast on participating in the community of believers, even when we're so hurt, frustrated, and angry with the way our institutional churches bastardize and commodify the gospel. The idea of being in exile is exactly how I feel. Cut off from the homeland of what should be and relegated to communities where a loving, grace-filled community is a distant second or dead last to autocracy, hierarchy, self-centeredness, self-importance, and the only semi-biblical mission of winning souls so that they go to heaven when they die. And yet, as you have talked about recently as well, what am I to do? Cloister and navel-gazing, into navel-gazing house church that can't tolerate the imperfection of the body of Christ? Take my figurative ball and bat and literally go home? I like that, figuratively and literally. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, doing what doing that feels like using old creation methods of separation into like-minded uh yeah in pursuit my eyes are not reading anymore Mm, in pursuit of the new creation fruit i should put on blue blockers what i should be doing new creation fruit of declaring god's ways to the powers and principalities i would feel like such a hypocrite and so i'm lost cast into exile in my church community and yet The idea of exile brings to mind Jeremiah's instruction to the Babylonian exiles to seek the well-being of the city, or Daniel's example of loyalty to the king he's in exile to, but non-violent subversion when asked to be disloyal to God. I'd love to hear reflections on what it means to be Christian exiles in the body of Christ. In some ways, I see similarities to the Old Testament exile. In other ways, it's different. For example, instead of being in exile to a king who believes himself to be the embodiment of the gods, I am in, in, I am in exile to a group of people that profess the name of Jesus but seem to completely miss the point of his message. Snap. Snap. Well, I think we can agree it should have been, um, it should have been much more well-read. But yes. um, <laughs> I can only do so much. <laughs> I thought this was such a great set of questions because yes. we talk about being in exile from the church, but being mm-hmm. exiled in the church yes. uh, is is something that's super rad. rad. So um, yes, it's totally rad. So so Jeremy, great set of questions, and I love I love the options. Um, 
Do I cloister into a navel-gaving house church and just complain <laughs> about the big church? It's a very Do poetic I, email. Totally. It's so well-written. Take my uh, figurative ball and literally go home. Um, <laughs> and, and the recognition that if we just... The new humanity isn't just sitting around in small groups of like-minded people. It has to be yeah. broader than that. I love that. So I'm lost, cast into exile in my church community. That's such a good way to say it. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's explore exile a little bit, Timothy, John. This was actually Tim's idea. Tim, Tim read this and said, dude, we got to talk about this. Yeah. So if, if the rest of this isn't good... Um, <laughs> Direct your emails to... Yes. Um, Timothy John Stafford at Voxology no. is awesome. Yeah, you can send your emails to faithimprovised at gmail.com. I think that's the... <laughs> Freaking gombus. All right. So, so, um, so exile, of course, is a motif as well as an historical event, right? It was an historical event in the sense that it was the, it was the absolute nuclear option in the covenant God made with Israel. That if you persistently give your hearts to other gods, um, are seeped in injustice, or steeped in injustice, uh, then um, you will be cast out from the land. The land will literally vomit you out of its mouth. Hmm. And so that exile, first the northern kingdom, which never returned, and then the southern kingdom, about 100, I think, or so years later, which engaged partially in return, um, and not, not everybody left. So you have the Samaritans, who were the people that were left and didn't go into exile who intermarried when Gentile, other Gentiles moved in the regions. But then you have the pure bloods who came back and hated the Samaritans because they were half bloods. Um, and uh, so that sets up all kinds of things. But exile was legit like 70 years in exile in Babylon. And again, Babylon, Babylon starts in the book of Genesis. It's the, always the anti heaven um, picture. Uh, in the Bible. So their, their enslavement and exile into Babylon is like the picture of estrangement um, from God. And God there, he, he instructs them that they will be in exile for 70 years. He will not be speaking to them, so don't listen to their prophets. But they are to engage in being Israel and to seek the welfare of their city. So there are two things that they were kind of instructed to do and to be during those 70 years. And then, and then the great promise of Jeremiah 29, right? I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. This was not written to individual Americans. This was written to a community where God wasn't going to talk to them for 70 years. Um, so if you want to claim that verse, let's claim the whole thing, first of all. But secondly, he gives them two instructions and he says, um, you are to foster... A di now, these are obviously my way of saying these instructions, but they were to foster a dynamic counterculture. Um, and you see this in the book of Daniel, right? That, that Israel didn't give up its forms, symbols, celebrations, and signs, right? Um, it, it, even though they were given Bab the names of Babylonian gods, they were, they were uh, assimilated in Babylonian diets and schools and governments. And, but there was still this undercurrent of practice and festival and celebration and Sabbath 
um, that was intended to keep them distinct. So the, so first, they were to they were to be a dynamic counterculture in the midst of this other culture. Um, even as they were exiled from the homeland, they were to have this kind of robust um, community life that stood out. And uh, and then the second thing they were to do was to seek the good of the city, which, and, and they're not just the good of the city, the shalom of the city. Um, now again, I mean, for for Christians, this is like, oh yeah, of course, this is what we're supposed to do. No, 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 no. You would have thought that God was going to judge Babylon um, for their oppression of Israel. You would have thought Israel was to be militant against Babylon. Um, and to fight whatever culture war needed to be fought to keep themselves pure and independent. And instead, he says, while keeping a, a counterculture that is distinctively um, that is distinctively Jewish, you are to seek the good of your city. You're to be the best possible citizens of the city uh, in, in which you reside. And, and that... That dynamic, all right? Think about what you've got to, think about how much you have to wrestle with dynamics of accommodation and distinction and inclusion and exclusion, just to figure out what the heck that means. That's why the book of Daniel is so interesting, is that the, the narrative sections of Daniel are, are a picture of how one small band of Israelites stayed faithful, even in the midst of the massive accommodation they were invited into, right? In terms of diet and name and, and the power and authority. And, um, and so this exile dynamic becomes a picture too. It, it becomes a, um, it, so it, it was a real historical event, but it's also kind of a, um, a symbol or a way of understanding of what it means to be not part of the majority culture. Um, and so it's not surprising that in the New Testament, um, that the that Christians are called those in exile, and this is particularly true in First Peter. Um, Peter actually he opens his letter by saying, "Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, the exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, whatever else." Um, later, in, he calls them, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. He talks about living out their time of exile. So this sort of picture becomes a way of understanding the Christian life and your relationship to this thing called the world. And the world isn't all bad in the Bible. The world can mean several different things. And worldliness uh, only means a love of those things opposed to God. It does not mean non-Christian. The worldly right. does not mean non-Christian, and we can have another conversation about that someday. But if you read First Peter, and uh, Jeremy, it would be interesting for you to read that. Um, you see these two invitations um, kind of woven throughout. On the one hand, because Peter's trying to answer, how do we live faithfully in a world, in a culture, right? Roman culture. Jews are now, were, they were blamed for the fires in Rome. Nero had started 
um, uh, massacring Christians, not massacring, but he would torture them. There's some historical indications that he would use them. He would light them on fire to light, hit, light up his dinner parties. Um, he blamed them. Historians think he actually set this fire that destroyed much of Rome. He blamed it on the Christians. So the Christians were all exiled out of Rome. Peter's writing to people in this sort of dynamic where, um, the wider culture, the wider Roman culture is realizing this isn't a sect of Judaism. This is its own thing. Yeah. And because Judaism was protected under Roman law, as, as people began to realize this Christian thing is different, it began to be persecutable. Um, and into the second and third centuries, it was. It was thought that Christians were atheists because they denied the existence of the Roman gods. Uh, they were actually horrible neighbors because they didn't attend the same festivals that would guarantee the blessings of the gods. They were thought to be cannibals because they celebrated the flesh and the blood of this Jesus fellow. So there were all sorts of lies um, told about the Christian community. So, so it isn't quite as developed historically to Peter's audience, but that's where it's headed. So Peter invites his audience to see themselves as exiled, scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And um, he invites them to participate in these same two practices, the, a dynamic counterculture and to seek the good of um, their neighbors. And so he, the way Peter talks about being a dynamic counterculture is he just constantly all over First Peter is the idea to be holy. Now that doesn't mean sexually pure. That means distinct. That means different. And... Um, uh, and, and distinct in the right ways and not the wrong ways, <laughs> right? <laughs> there's good distinct and there's bad distinct. Just to clarify. Yeah, if you're distinct to the point where you can't even um, communicate in categories or thought patterns that your neighbors can understand, then that's bad, right? Because right. you're supposed to incarnate yes. Jesus to people. If you're distinct in ways that show how money, sex, and power can be used differently and in nonviolent ways, then, oh, now we're talking. That's kind of distinct that we're, we're talking yeah. about. So Peter talks a lot about money, sex, and power, but the invitation is to be holy. And that's just another way of saying be a dynamic counterculture. Then he talks about seeking the good of the city. Now, he doesn't say this because these are people scattered throughout the empire, but he says, live such good lives among your neighbors the pagans. Now, again, pagan isn't a pejorative, I don't think. I think it just means among the unbelieving. Yeah. Live such good lives that they would see your good deeds and that you would not be slandered uh, by them. You know, that they would be shut up. They, they couldn't maliciously talk about you. And so it's the same two ideas, right? D counterculture that is, is wrestling through accommodation and distinction, inclusion and exclusion. And this sense of being a blessing to the culture uh, into which you've been exiled or out of which you've been exiled, I should say. So to, to uh, Jeremy's question, how do we apply this to the church? Um, well, I mean, obviously, not surprisingly, I'm going to uh, suggest that for those of us who feel spiritually homeless, which is our way of saying it, that's we're just saying being exiled. Um, uh, as uh, in different words. So being spiritually homeless or being in exile in the church. Well, how do we do that? First, we're going to say, okay, there's we should be a dynamic counterculture. 
Those of us who take the Sermon on the Mount seriously, not perfectly, but seriously, those of us who still have a high view of the church, a high view of the Bible, uh, and confidence in this Jesus, but who are open to re-examining all the stuff that comes with that, right? It should should look and feel different than the power-hungry, platforming, you know, uh, institutional organizations that we're familiar with. So there should be scattered around uh, America, uh, small groups of people who are committed to embodying the dynamic counterculture. Secondly, and that, that that community needs to be radically committed to the good of the church as a whole. Right. Again, right? So if, if, the, if the exiles in Babylon can be commanded to seek the good of Babylon, then the exiles of whatever, quote, the church are, they can be commanded to seek the good of the church as a whole. And, and we would argue that's exactly what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, we're trying to, to, to deconstruct forms, modes of operating priorities and value systems so that we can reconstruct them on a more faithful, biblically faithful, Jesus-looking, cross-shaped foundation. Yeah. So we're not just kicking and screaming at this thing into a void. We're actually, we're actually saying, no, 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 it can be done in a different way. Not, not a perfect way, but definitely a more faithful way. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I think the important thing, uh, at least for me, and again, uh, this is the only conclusion I draw for myself is that, um, if I'm going to see myself as sort of spiritually homeless, I still have to be committed radically to the good of the church as a whole. What that means is that I find areas to bless and to breathe on and to encourage and support. I find areas to challenge and to embody difference. Um, obviously, we find that one of the things that we do um, here is that we mourn and lament parts of the church that we just think aren't embodying Jesus well, um, but but we're not giving up on them. Um, you know, and 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 the third point I want to make is that sometimes maybe you have to right if. Um, so I put, you know, how do we how do we live in exile in the church? Well, we're dynamic counterculture. Two, we're radically committed to the good of the whole church. But three, there are times we do take our ball and go home. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm thinking of environments at, at less about doctrine and more about money, sex, and power. Uh, I'm thinking more of spiritual abuse. I'm thinking more of does a church community does church leadership uh is it humble does it admit fault does it repent and ask forgiveness does it listen to dissent um does it uh honor um uh marginalized and show hospitality to marginalized people and groups um does it make does it make priority the things that jesus made priority about the people of god uh or does it exist to be its own platform um, you know, those are the kind of things uh, I'm talking about. Does it fall prey to the idolatries of the age, whether mm-hmm. they're capitalistic in terms of bigger is better, whether they're patriotic in terms of America is a Christian nation, right? Whether they're individualistic, that we're just here solely to be better people, um, right? However, so there are times I think we say, I can't go with you there, church, because of the, of the harm that's being done. 
Um, but theologically, none of us are exempt from this church thing. Church is a thing we are, not a place we go to or an institution uh, that we critique. It's a thing that we are. And that we don't get rid of, right? We're it's saved into that. That's a huge distinction. So we're all for critiquing modes and methods and priorities and values that we think in some cases have been corrupted by American values and systems and so on. But what we don't do, um, we do that, and it's only, it's only in the hope that um, the church, the indestructible bride of Jesus, this body of Jesus on earth, all of those sorts of pictures, that that becomes more and more healthy. And I think and that's why I think Jesus is behind a lot of the, you know, the, a lot of the deconstructing and exposing of what's been happening all these years. All right, you just took your glasses off. I'm trying to get that flare, all, the, all that light. <laughs> <laughs> I like closed the blinds and put a black screen next to the video so that it would, I don't know what's going on. My computer's light hungry. Tim had a very shiny face earlier. I'm not, that's true. I'm not, not going to lie. I had a shiny face all the time. Not going to lie about that either. Um, did you have something you wanted to add, though? No, I, you're, I think you're... Yep. <laughs> and here's the last thing I want to say. Um, well, at least in my list. Um, on the margins is where Jesus and his partners have always done the best work. So never... Um, has Christianity flourished in the center. So for those of us who feel spiritually homeless, I want to say in some weird way, we have the best chance of encountering Jesus um, because we're just agitated about, okay, well, this isn't, this isn't looking or feeling a lot like him. And so we got to look in places that are the unexpected, the surprising places, the least of these places, and weakness, and ugliness, and messiness. And then it's like, oh, he actually, that's where he does some of his best stuff. <laughs> and just as a matter historically, I mean, think about the early church. One historian um, estimates that in the year 100 AD, there were only 25,000 Christians, Okay. 200 years later, uh, there were upwards of 20 million. So 25,000 to 20 million in 200 years. Um, and the question that a lot of religious historians wrestle with was, well, how did it happen? They didn't, they were an illegal religion. They didn't have, a, they didn't have church buildings. They didn't have the scriptures as we know them. They didn't have institutions or denominations or printing presses or anything. They didn't have seeker-sensitive worship or youth groups or worship bands. They actually made it hard to join. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and we're seeing like in places like China, where the church is officially persecuted, um, it flourishes and it grows. And um, so I, I just want to I, I want to spark a bit of hope, not in the sense that those of us who spirit, feel spiritually homeless are somehow more spiritually mature. That would be the wrong conclusion to draw from this, right? Hey, look at us. We're in exile. The other church is stupid. We know better. And then you're into old creation dynamics again. Yeah. Right. That's not what this is. This is we're hungry. And we're not seeing the meal that we were promised there. 
And so we're going to go look and we're going to keep looking and we're going to wrestle and we're going to struggle and we're going to be wrong and messy and whatever else, but we're going to keep looking. And so this has nothing to do with a group of people saying, oh, and that's how this can come across so much, right? Deconstruction uh, in its negative, most negative forms just comes across as pride and self-righteousness. Right. And that's not what we're after, right? We have enough pride and self-righteousness with the construction. <laughs> we don't need more <laughs> out there, right? What we're talking about is walking in weakness and holding up the Sermon on the Mount in the life of Jesus and comparing it to the institution and saying, man, these things aren't lining up. So I'm going to keep roaming around until yeah. I find people um, in communities that look and feel like this. Yeah. doesn't mean we're no, better. Hungry, we're hungry. hungry is a really good way to... Because I think that the mode for a long time has been, A, one of the things we've talked about a bunch is if I, if we can just get the right person in office, uh, everything yeah. that the church cares about will be taken care of for us. Right. And then we, like, we're, we're in the caboose and we're, like, you know, drinking champagne and being like, don't worry, you know, good old DJT is driving the train and he's taking us to the Holy Land and he'll take care of everything that matters to us you can see why the separation of power was so important because we become so idle and then in yes. our idleness we get just way lost or you know or maybe we just get so stationary that we <laughs> yeah but so that becomes a big thing like we seek that power and that power builds institutions and the institutions start to dictate everything and yeah you lose hunger because it's like you lose your palate like you can't taste mm. The other thing too is like everything that this entire, everything we've talked about today all the way through from the beginning, stuff about the responses to last episode all the way through this, obviously there's a lot of congruent themes, but it, it does make me think about how, again, like I'm seeing, you know, quote unquote ministry more and more as helping people to be within that center focused mindset. Like where's the well? Yeah. Um, not not uh, guarding the gates or the boundaries or the fences that keep people from coming to the well, but helping people see that's the well, and I'm I'm trying to push towards the well. I'm trying to be center focused. I'd invite you to come do this with me because there's a lot to be learned, and there's there's health and vitality in 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 seeking in this way and in li living in this way, and not you know what I mean, like yeah. Yeah. I see that in every one of these conversations, even the exile one, it's like we we lose that idea of being center focused because a lot of the problems with being in exile are because of those weird boundaries, like just being faced in the opposite direction. Right, right, right. And it's right. time to, we have to stop as a church doing that. I have hope in the church, but despite how angry I get, yeah, <laughs> I do see it as <laughs> something that can be, I don't know what I see it as, but... I, I get a lot of hope from the conver the questions and the conversations that people bring to us trying to sort through what does this all really mean? Like, what am I really supposed to do? I also get so frustrated because, correct me if I'm wrong, but often God would allow Israel to stay in exile because they just didn't get it, right? That there was, a, sometimes it would be that God was critical of 
the choices his people made. Oh, good lord, yes. So when he I think warned about them for hundreds of years. Yeah. So when I think about how defensive people get over the church or America or whatever, and it's like God was critical when things were off track. Like he cares about this and he's gonna he's critical of it because of that. He doesn't want it to just toe a line, a line that gets stale over right. time. Like it's just it's, I don't know. It's always weird. Jesus was critical. God was critical because they cared so much about absolutely bringing people to the well that I don't know. And and who were they critical of? And Us. and well, yes, the religious leaders. And what did they do? You know, they made sure that the outsiders were able to stream in, um, and that the insiders were held accountable. I mean, you know, so much of Jesus's ministry is a rebuke of the religious leadership of Israel. Yeah. So, yeah, for those of us who are thought leaders, <laughs> which what a dumb ass thing to put in your bio, or I'm a catalytic leader or whatever, right? For so many of us who are in those positions, um, I mean, it's got to be a fear and trembling thing, man. That's where the judgment goes. Yeah. Um I just I just am like, oh wow. And um so I, I feel like, you know, and I, I know we talk about the church so much, but it's because we can't get over it. And so I just thought the idea of being in exile from the church. Yeah. In one sense, you can't be. If you're a follower of Christ, you are in the church regardless. But uh, in another sense, that is possible, that the institution yeah. just doesn't fit anymore. And what do we do then? And so we're saying, listen, find people who are hungry and go exploring. And it doesn't mean you all come to the same conclusions or whatever, but but that unity in weakness, that unity in humility, that unity in, um, okay, we know it's not that. Um, there's power. There's power there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's all, all the Beatitudes. And then we're doing it not out of pride or condemnation for those other dumb people. That's the key. Is because if we do it that way, we've just we've just we've fallen into the, the same trap, right? Now we're yep. just doing a new now we're just doing a new tribal exercise. Um and we'll just have different boundaries. And um, right. and that's where I'm like, ah, eh, can't be that. So it has Hence, this has to be every for denominational the... split over the last <laughs> however long. Well, it has to be good for the church of, as a whole, right? We have to seek yeah. the good of the church, and in our world, it seems the good of the church is telling the truth, you know, and repenting of injustice and idolatry and those sorts of things. So anyway, we'd love to know what you think. What are what are practices that you've discovered that help nourish? Um, a dynamic counterculture uh, at the same time um, allow for the love of this this indestructible bride of Jesus. Um, you know, for for I think a lot of our community, they've left the organization to protect their love of right. the the bride of Jesus. You know what I mean? Um, and that I think that has to be a viable option. Um, but anyway, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And um, we, you know, 
we'll plan out series of conversations, but we always leave room for just so, so many great questions that we get and thoughtful replies and challenges and critiques. So anyway, um, any last thoughts, Timothy? Nope. Nope. Well, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace until next time. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us